Am I on yet? Just bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word tonight, the only prayer I have, Lord, is as you stood with the crowd, you would stand with me. And Lord, that you would touch me by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we consider your word, that you would come down and bless us, that we might know something more of the living word of God dwelling amongst us, Lord, by your Spirit. And we pray these things in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our brother Luke has been taking us on a journey and he's been telling us about the one who is born of a virgin who is the son of God, the saviour of his people, the one who at the age of 12 he confounded the doctors and the lawyers, the one whom his father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, the one who healed the sick and cleansed the leper, the one that made such a change in so many people's lives. And he dwelt amongst us. And we behold the glory of the only Son of God, the one who is full of grace and truth. And so it was, he was in their presence, he was in their midst. And last week we saw how a leper was told to put forth his withered hand. How daft to say to a man with a withered hand, stretch it forth. But by the power of God, he was able to do so and it was healed. We saw that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who gave the law to his people. It's true to say that the commandments of God beat with the very heartbeat of God. How we are to be towards God and man. God would have us to live so much differently to this world uh, without killing, without, without stealing, without taking other people's wives, without... Uh, blaspheming his name, without making idols, without worshipping celebrities. God has so much, so much of a better plan for man. And he longs for that image to Im be impressed upon your heart and for you to live as he would have you to live. The problem is we're sinners. We go our own way like, like, own way like lost sheep. We turn uh, like a dog to its own vomit. We are people that do things and we think, why did we do that? Why did I act like that? Why did I say that? And this fall of sin which is within us comes out. But the one that stands amongst us, we see in verse 17, he came down. He came down with them in verse 17 and he stood in the plain. It's a good job that our Saviour came down. And it's a good job that he was amongst the crowd it was useless them being there if he wasn't there. Who could heal the sick? Who could cleanse the leper? And so we see that this crowd came for two reasons in verse 19. They sought to touch him to be healed. But in verse 17, to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. There was more than just a visit to the doctor. They wanted to hear what he had to say. There was, in a crowd of people, there are, are different people. Uh, in the Bible, the word for church is congregation. And so a great multitude, a great congregation of people are gathered. And in a congregation, there are people with different needs. There are people that love God. There are people that hate God. 
There are people that want to follow his laws and commands and grow by his word and through his spirit. And so there was a great multitude of people out of Judea and Jerusalem. And from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, we see then there was Jews from these places like Jerusalem and Judea and Gentiles coming from Tyre and, and Sidon by the seacoast. And they had come for this purpose to hear him. And amongst them would be those who hated Jesus, those who did not receive his testimony, who saw his mighty miracles and yet could not accredit it to his Father doing his work through him. Believe me for my very work's sake, Jesus said. But these people, they were in the crowd. They needed to hear God's word, but they were dead, dead in trespasses and sins. We see there were those there who were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. People who had lived immoral lives, prostitutes, and people who had delved into the occult and, and gone their own way and, and got so vilely defiled by sin that you would think, well, who could make these people good? And Jesus did. He met with them and made bad people good. Why? Because we see this. That virtue went out of him in verse 19. Just as power comes from God, so virtue and power flows from Jesus to his subjects, to those who hear him. What a saviour he is. Luke is not showing us a mere man, but he's showing us with someone with power. The Lord of the Sabbath, who can heal a withered hand, who can heal the multitude. But there's a multitude touching him here. Thousands of people coming into contact. And yet every single one who touched him, Jesus knew their name. He knew their need. And so it is in any meeting when God touches people that God knows that person individually in their heart. He knows their heart towards them. Like the woman that stretched out through the crowd and he says, who touched me? And the woman, it's I. And the disciples was, well, everybody's touching you. But Jesus knew that virtue had gone out. And this woman was healed. He knew who she was. And she want, he wanted her to be made known for what had been done. And so it was a sight to behold. He stood there. He stood in the plain. And he preached to the crowd. We're told he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. He was about to give them instruction. He was about to show them things that they needed to hear. But first of all, we need to understand something of the nature of God. Something of what God is like. Towards the end, we are told to be ye merciful as your Father is merciful. There is a lesson in here. And twice in verse 37 and 35, he says, love your enemies. There's something very deep here, something this world doesn't know. There is something of the Christian here, but there is also warning to the non-converted, to those who are, 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 are deaf, who are dead in trespasses and sins, and need to have the ears, ears that hear. They need that spirit of God coming to them, giving them life. 
And the Lord Jesus says he didn't come into the world to condemn the world or to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved, John 17. That is the mission of Jesus, not to condemn you for the life you live, but to forgive you your sins. That is the wonder of the gospel. That is the true Christian message that Jesus died for sinners, that he came into this world to condemn, not to condemn, but that we through him might be saved. And so the message, just as the, the Ten Commandments beat the heart of God towards his, his people, how God would have his people to worship him and how people are to love and show the worship of God in their conduct to others. So this Sermon on the Plain has this same heartbeat of God. It's the Word of God. It's not just a letter that we can just go through tonight and just say, oh, that was nice, that was interesting. But it's the very word of God to our hearts. He's the very food of God. He's warning us. He's showing us. He's bringing us into a closer fellowship with him. And to understand this more, we need to understand what God is like. What God is like. Because throughout this, these few verses, you'll find God is there. His character his way, his person, the way he is, the way he has been, the way he deals with people. And it shines through. And I hope that in my, uh, in my efforts, you might see that. It's a mirror. It's reflective. It's instructive. There's examples. There's comparisons. But what is God like? Well, he's merciful. His mercy endures forever. No such... Um, we don't have to go far until we, we turn our pages of the Bible and we see transgression coming in, man sinning against God. And God not giving him what he deserves. He's transgressed his laws. He's, he's worthy of death. And yet, he, although Adam is told to leave the garden, he's given hope of return. Redemption is there. God shows mercy to our parents, to the world, to us today. He's long-suffering. When people sin and go astray, he, he forbore with, with his, his children, the children of Israel, through their many transgressions and sins. He, he called them back into fellowship with him. He offered them sacrifices so that they might be cleansed from their sins. But we know that only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all sin. God is a merciful God. He is a forgiving God. He is a righteous God. If he wanted to condemn, he could have done it there in the garden, but he didn't. If he wanted to judge, he could have brought judgment upon the world then, and we wouldn't be here tonight, but God is merciful. Why does the power of God hold back? Because of us. He wants to save us, and yet that wrath was poured out upon his son at Calvary. He took it all. He bore our sins and our transgressions to Calvary. He suffered and died alone. God is merciful. But this is something God is. God is love. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He sent his son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There's a heart of God. That's what God thinks of you tonight. You're never too far from God. That God 
cannot touch you, cannot reach you, verse you, can flow into your life from God on high and you can become one of his children. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But it's an act of God's love and grace that brings us into his family. And so he lifted up his eyes and he saw his disciples. And he starts to speak to them. He says, blessed are the poor. And in Matthew we see the poor in spirit. But they weren't just poor in spirit. Some of them had left livelihoods to follow Jesus. Remember the crowd that came and they, were, they needed to go home for food. And it was a long journey and Jesus had compassion on them. And he fed them with the five barley loaves and two fishes. He saw people who were, were thrown out of the synagogues because they named the name of Christ. Remember the blind man. Remember the blind man. And, and they go to him and they say, well, uh, give glory to God, your blindness. Give it, give it to God, not this man Jesus. And he says, well, well, whether you think this man Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. But I know one thing. Once I was blind, but now I see. And what did they do with him? Oh, you're a sinner. You were all together born in sin. And they cast him out. There are many people who have been b become poor for the gospel's sake. And he says to these people, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But you see, to be poor in spirit is to realize an emptiness, a hunger. He talks about blessed are the hungry now, for they shall be filled. This poor in spirit is to acknowledge your spiritual condition before God. It is to acknowledge that not just poverty, but spiritually we are poor. We have nothing to merit in us, God's goodness and God's favor. And we need him to breathe new life into us. It is true that many who are poor call out to God. Many that knows the trials and, and the struggles of life, whether it be through alcoholism or whether it be, be through uh, driven into prostitution or whether it be uh, losing their house through loss of job or losing a parent or a loved one. And that poor state, that physical poorness makes them realize how empty life is. And then they look inward and they see there's an emptiness inside, not just around me. And through that emptiness, through that hunger, it drives them to God. And God would have us to see our absolute bankruptcy before him. Our actual uh, spiritual bank account. It says we are dead. Not alive, dead in trespasses and sins. It, it takes God to breathe life, just like Lazarus. Uh, three days dead in the tomb. And God must speak and say, Lazarus comes forth. He couldn't have done it on his own. And nor can you. You cannot become a Christian by your power, by your good living, by your good standards. He's just dead. He's like, he's like bringing a, a dead man out of a grave and saying, walk. He can't. And yet the Spirit of God comes into us. We walk like Lazarus. We walk with new resurrection, new life. From above. Blessed are you that weep now, and there was many that wept. And he says, This hope for you is here. You shall be filled. Isn't that what the hungry want to hear? 
You shall laugh. Isn't that what someone weeps? You know, there are people that are weeping and thinking, when will this end? When will I ever feel happy again? When will I ever know joy, the joys I once had? And the Christian is able to know a blessedness because in their present suffering, they see Christ. In their present suffering, they see Christ. Even when they're hated of people, when people separate them from their company, when they're reproached, when their name is evilly spoken of, we are told this. This is how we are to view our suffering. Rejoice in that day. Rejoice that you're poor, you're hungry, you're weeping. Think about Paul and Silas in prison. They had much to be miserable about, much to be unhappy about. And what did they do? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy of suffering for Christ's sake. When someone speaks bad of you, if it's because of your love for God, then rejoice. Be glad. Be know that you're different. They wouldn't do it. If you were one of theirs, they wouldn't do it. If you were of this world, if you belonged to this world and you were chums with it, you would walk the walk they walk. They would, they would commend you. They would be behind you. But no, when you suffer for Christ's sake, it's a privilege. It's a blessing. And so we are told, rejoice in that day. Don't let it get you down. Leap for joy, it says. I mean, these are amazing words. Behold, your reward is great in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Your reward is great in heaven. You're going there. You know, it's with our future hope in view that we endure the suffering. But if we don't see it, if we're not thinking of it, then the suffering is not linked to anything. But we're going home, brothers and sisters. We're going to heaven. We're going to where God dwells. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said it, and he meant it, and it will happen. And so this present suffering is working for us a greater weight of glory, Paul says. There's, there's a reward here for us. And it's a reward that comes in our sufferings. The Christian actually knows a blessed life. His past suffering, if they're in Christ, he can rejoice at them. Now in his future hope. Looking towards the kingdom of God and the author of our faith, Jesus, he can be assured and blessed. And looking to the future, he knows that his vile body shall be transformed and Christ shall present him faultless before his throne with exceeding great joy. There is much to say for the Christian life. But the ungodly and those who forget how poor they are they're in a terrible condition. There's a contrast, you see. You've got the poor, as in, in the first part is what we, we, we've just gone through, with verse 24 and 25 and 26. And we see that the poor are mirrored with the rich. The hungry are mirrored with the full. The weepers are mirrored with the laughter. And we see that these people, there is a note of caution. It's not condemnation, but it's saying, whoa, 
Watch what you're doing. You know, if you're a sinner and you're going to hell, if you're going to a lost eternity, then you need someone to say woe to you. And the crowd before Jesus was full of different types of people. And they were told, caution, woe unto you that are rich. For you have received your consolation. What does a rich man need? Nothing. There is no hunger. There is no acknowledgement of being poor. There is no seeking after God. I'm sufficient. And that is the danger of riches. That is the this deceitfulness of riches. They blind us. Like the man in the narrative in the in the story who built his barn, built bigger barns. I'm going to put my feet up and take my ease. I'm going to live a long life. And then he says, fool, this night your soul is going to be required of you. He was going to go into eternity and his barns would be good for nothing. How do you evaluate your riches? What do they mean to you? Are you holding on to them? Are they what give you your power? What makes you feel, look at me, look what I've achieved. Look at my house, my car, my business, my home, what I can do. I can have leisure time, I can do whatever I like. I can please myself. What do I need? The deceitfulness of riches, they blind us. They lower us into, lower us into a, a false sense of security. Woe unto you without a fool. You get a full cup, you try to fill it, you can't fill it anymore. You see, in truth, you're going to hunger. That's what Jesus says in love. You're going to hunger. Carry on the way you are. Reject me. Don't repent of your sin. Believe that you're okay in this world on your own. I'll get by, Jack. I'm all right. You laugh now. You enjoy the company of people and the praise of men. Woe when more men speak well of you. So did they, the fathers to the prophets. You know, people like to hear good swelling words. You're good. You're all right. You'll get to heaven. Don't worry about this God. You know, he'll accept you. Let's have a laugh if he is there. No faith, no reverence, no fear of God before their eyes. See how verse 23 is mirrored with 26. In like manner did they do unto the prophets. He's saying, look, your suffering, you good people, your suffering, just the same as the prophets. Remember, they traveled in goatskins. They saw them in Sunda. They did terrible things to them. You read Hebrews. And he says, you're, you're treading in those footsteps. But you're also treading in the king of kings' footsteps. He suffered. He suffered the contradiction of sinners against himself. He suffered every day he was on earth. But he had the joy of the Lord always before him. The joy of the cross always before him. He saw something precious in what the world could never see. Saving sinners was his chief aim. And he did that. And so the joy was deep-rooted in his love for sinners. And so we see these great comparisons and we have to ask one question before we move on. Which one are we? What group are we in? Are we in A? the people of God, who have the Spirit of God dwelling in them? Or are we of this world? Are we those 
who need the Spirit of God to awaken us from our deadness. Then in verse seven, uh, 27, he carries on and he tells them how a Christian should be different to the world and emulate Christ. And I believe this is written in a setting of suffering. You know, if someone steals something from you, you want it back. You know, we have laws of the land. So I don't, I don't see that he's saying that, but... This is talking about loving your enemies. And we know that while we were yet enemies with God, God loved us and gave himself for us. And he's saying, be like Jesus. Love your enemies. Do good. Actively do good to them that hate you. Now, I don't care who, who you are, but all the people I know in the world cannot do this. They have not got the power to accept wrong in the way a Christian has. They have not got the strength to go the extra mile, to turn the other cheek, to love in the way a Christian can. You are unique. And God has made you that way. Bless them that curse you and pray for them that despitefully use you. How are you going to do that if you cannot feel that reward that comes from belonging to God? If you, if you have no sense of the reward, if you have no vision of God before you and of the glory that is to come, you cannot, you cannot do this. To him that smites you on the cheek, I think about them mocking Jesus. And they reviled him. They spat at him. They mocked him. And he reviled not. He went as a lamb before his shear. shear. He opened not his mouth. He endured the shame for us. He says, be like me. Turn the other cheek. Offer him the other one. You haven't got to run away. I'm with you. If he takes your cloak, give him your coat. If he asks of you, give him. If he takes away your goods, and I think that comes in persecution, isn't it? People taking away your goods. Rotten, horrible people. Ask for it not again. I believe early Christians showed this love when they were persecuted and, 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 and they spoke well, even of their enemies. Who they, not for what they'd done, but they prayed for them. They, they, they blessed them. They, they wanted to see their persecutors uh, brought to faith. And so we see then this great comparison. If, you're, if you just love people who love you, then you're just like the world. Verse 32, if, if you just do good to people who do good to you, you're just like the world. If you lend and you, you want to receive and some to receive more, you're just like the world. Even sinners lend to receive as much again, he says. So he repeats again. And I believe the repeat here is to emphasize, but love your enemies. And he repeats himself, do good. And lend hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And you shall be the children of the highest. You see, he's marking out the child of God against the darkened heart that won't receive the things of God. The unconverted, lost and dead in trespasses and sins, 
are so different to the children of light. Darkness and light, they're so contrasted. And he says, look, I've loved my enemies. I've loved people and they've given me nothing. And I've been merciful. I've been good to the unthankful. I've been kind to the unthankful. And the more you go through this, you see, like the commandments, it beats the heart of God. Because he says, be ye merciful as your father is merciful. It, it, look at his heart. Look how big God's heart is. In not, not, not airy-fairy, in what he's done and the way he's loved us. How great that love is. And so, he sort of finishes with the gospel. Judge not. Condemn not. Forgive. I looked at this and I thought, oh, what, why is this last little bit on the end of his message? I, I, I couldn't quite work it out. Judge not, condemn not. Why did he say forgive? And then I, I remember the verse in John 17. He came not into the world to condemn, not to judge, but that the world through him might be get saved, that they might be forgiven. And so when... Ben talked about the church looking out on the world. It judges things in the church, not outside. It was absolutely correct and right, the word of God he preached to us this morning. And when we're out there, we see sin in all of its dark ways and it grieves us. And we're told not to judge men in their sins. One day, those who will not believe will be judged. One day, those who will not hear will be condemned. One day, those who will not come to Jesus for their sins to be forgiven will find that there is forgiveness no more. There is only life in one, and that is the Son of God. There is salvation in no other name. Peter said, to who, who shall we turn to? You have the words of eternal life. And so tonight, if you walk out of here, if you're listening online, and you turn your back on God's word, which is able to breathe life into you, if you will not place your trust and your eternal destiny in the Savior who loved you and gave himself for you, then where are you going to find forgiveness with God? Where are you going to find reconciliation with God? How are you going to get to heaven? Where is, like I said to the Sunday school children, what ladder are you going to build? How are you going to change your body? The one who made the flower, the one who put the stars in space, the one who did all this, the one whom the heaven declares his glory and his handiwork. The one that if you are dead in your trespasses and sins, you are blind to. Then you say, Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see. Help me to see the worth of Christ, the love of Christ towards me. Help me to see what he did for me when he took the beating, when he took the scourging, when he went to the cross of Calvary, when he went there to forgive you your sins. There's a reward through all of this both past in our suffering, both now in our living and for the future blessing. 
It's not a prosperity gospel. It's a real gospel of real joy, real leaping in suffering, real joy in the present in trusting, real joy in the future in hoping. And so verse 38 rings true. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall man give into your bosom for with the same measure that you meet out, wherewithal it shall be measured to you again. God owes nobody nothing. God's reward is with them that fear him. And I pray tonight, as you think about this shortened version of Matthew's uh, Sermon on the Mount, as you think about it, you see that in it, just like in the commandments, the heart of God, the person of God, the Christian, is shown to us. And we need to be like him. Amen. We're going to sing our last song, which is In Christ Alone.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that there is a judge of all the earth that doeth right, that is righteous in all his deeds and in his ways, and mercy and truth belongs to him. We know that judgment is always and yours, Lord. Final laws and commands are always yours, but we thank you that there is a way back from, from sin, from the dark paths of sin, through our Lord Jesus Christ, and that there is forgiveness with God, and there is none of us so far that you cannot touch our lives, and that virtue from you cannot flow into them, and that we can be quickened so that we become the sons of, and daughters of the highest, children of God's kingdom. Lord, we pray that each one will trust you and know you in a closer, deeper way. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your fellowship. Thank you for your truth. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.